as Allegra was putting me on the spot uh, as far as what that verse was, I, I was thinking about not, well, song, most times if you're trying to guess where a song or a chorus is from, just say the book of Psalms and it's going to be somewhere in there. But uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 was a passage I was looking to as we were, before Kathy kind of bailed me out. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says this, The Lord's loving kindness does indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's kind of a, maybe a, a supplemental verse to this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad. And you go, why? Because his faithfulness never, never ends. And they are, in fact, they are new every morning. And his compassions never fail. Uh, well, this morning, um, just by way of introduction and then before we have one more prayer before we look at God's word, is that if you were with us last week, uh, we began, in a sense, our series in the book of, of, of Luke as we gave an introduction and kind of uh, also a challenge to uh, understand where Luke is coming from as he writes this um, story of the life of Jesus, that his, his whole pursuit was to, as he wrote to a friend, a very personal friend of his, the most excellent Theophilus, who was probably a, a person higher up in the social ranks of, of Rome, writing as a Gentile, the only Gentile or non-Jewish person to write uh, inspired by God parts of the New Testament, is that he did it for the express purpose of writing the exact truth about the things that people have heard about and been taught. And, and so we are endeavoring to do that. Well, we looked at Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, and today if you're looking uh, at the text in your outline, you recognize we kind of skipped something, Okay. We skipped all of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Well, the reason we, we're doing that, though we might go back a little bit next week uh, for part of it, is that uh, that largely is the account of the, the Christmas event. And so we just had a season of doing that. In fact, we picked a lot of the passages out of Luke that we spent time sharing messages. So we're, we're going to jump uh, to Luke chapter 3 and continue on there. And uh, not knowing how long we're going to be in Luke, we might be at Christmas time by the time I finish this book, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll see it uh, to come. So let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just really pray as we share today that you might cause our hearts and minds to be challenged by your truth as well as encouraged by your truth. Might we understand more clearly that which you want everyone to know, which is the truth and meaning of, of what you've recorded for us out of the, the lives and the pens of those you have directed to write inspired words from you. And Father, we pray that today might be a day which we are just uh, prepared to hear what you've uh, said to people down through the ages about what is true. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. People are struggling with the identity of two individuals that at the beginning of their lives, people had a had a sense that someone special had arrived. And yet now it's, it's been three decades. It's been 30 years and, and really nothing has been said from or about these two individuals. They, they had a, kind of a special beginning. One, uh, some reports, was that it was a miraculous birth, even a, a virgin birth, but actually my memories of that account has grown very, very faint. And, and the other one, he, he was born to a couple that had been very advanced in years, and that really doesn't happen. And, 
And that seemed maybe from the hand of God. But really, if, if that had really been true about what I had thought I had heard in the past, you would have heard more about it. And even as I tried to investigate a little bit more, I found out that those who were like firsthand proclaimers of that, that they're gone. I had heard all these angels had come kind of a singing a message. And, and, you know, those angels that came from heaven, they, they seem to have gone back. And they're, they're not here anymore. And, and then I heard that they, they had given the message announcing to a, kind of a, an unsettling group of people, uh, shepherds. And you know what shepherds do. They kind of just go wherever the grass is greener and they're, they're gone. In fact, even if I could meet one of those shepherds, you, you can't believe anything a shepherd says. I mean... Shepherds, we're talking about shepherds, and, and they're gone. And, and then the most significant people in that encounter, those people that, that experienced it firsthand, you know, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, even Joseph, they're all dead. It's been 30 years. Well, one of them made kind of a cameo appearance when he was 12, and, you know, went to the temple and kind of there was a conversation between him and some other learned people and they were kind of amazed how much he knew but I'm not even sure that story's true and then I guess I guess I could talk to the mother of one of these important people and I think her name is Mary but if you're asking let me let's let's be honest if you ask a mother about their child okay uh, are, are they going to possibly embellish the truth a little bit? I mean, I mean, who 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 has a mother that doesn't think that their child is is just better than anybody else? I mean, they put all these stickers on the chariots. You know, my my uh, my child was an honor student at you know, and and, and not only uh, let's be honest too. Not not only you can't always believe a mother and what they say about their children, but she's a woman. You know, and I, I, you know I know. I know we're a little bit different now, but in those days, a woman, she, she couldn't even testify in a court. So if you can't testify in court, how, how can you believe what, what she says is really what? True. It's been 30 years. But, but now, all of a sudden, I'm hearing some things in the most unlikely places. And it's, it's about some things that, that, that all of a sudden are compelling for people to to do whatever it takes to hear firsthand. Most of the time when we want to hear from God, where we live and what we're convinced where God speaks is in the place where He provides for us to worship and offer sacrifices to Him to, to cover what, what we know is wrong in our lives. And, and so you go to Jerusalem, you go to the temple, and this individual never spends time at the temple. And now we've heard the rumor that actually he's, he's the son of a priest, but he doesn't do anything priestly. He's, he's kind of forsaken that. And, and he's not in the place where everybody is. He's in that place where nobody is. He's, he's in the wilderness. And actually, and I use this term honestly, in a God-forsaken wilderness. We're not, we're not talking about the, the edges of civilization. We're saying beyond civilization. And it appears that, that he's saying some things that, that people feel a need to hear and do whatever it takes to respond to what he has to say. 
Well, what I'm describing in somewhat like a first-person narrative is, is the story of, of John the Baptizer. We know him in our day as John the Baptist. But he, he really was, could be named by what he did. He was baptizing people. But as we'll see, and we'll, we'll try to hang our truths this morning on some of the things I put in your outline, but, but he had a message that was unlike any other message that they had heard at that time. And he was a character like no one else had spoken authoritatively. You know, kind of breaking out of for a moment, I, I was so tempted this morning to dress how I normally dress six days a week. If, uh, if, if you happen to see me you know, Monday through Saturday, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing Levi's 90% of the time. And, and if you're really observant, you'll, you'll notice that I'll wear the same Levi's six days in a row, all right? If you know anything about Levi's, they, they get better the sixth day than the first day, all right? They, they, just, they just wear on you. And, and, and I'm kind of the person that, that wears Levi's in a sense. I will, uh, you know, if I, if I get a favorite pair of Levi's, I, I don't ever throw them away, okay? And, and unlike the culture today where people will buy Levi's that look old. Mine are old, all right? I've had, I've had them for decades, some of them. All right? they, they've been in my closet a long time, and they got holes just about every place you can imagine. And, and I don't wear it for fashion. I just wear it because I'm used to them. And I, I've got other clothes in my, in my closet that, you know, a favorite shirt you just can't get away with. Maybe there's a memory tied to it, and it's still hanging up there. And, and when you feel like it's all right to wear it, you wear it because it's just... It's just it just feels part of you. Well, the one who was called of God to speak for God, you know, he was dressed like no other preacher was dressed. He, he, he wasn't with a garb of, of the priestly clan. And he was wearing a garment of camel's hair, whatever that looks like. I don't know if it was a camel skin that still had hair on it, but that's what he, that's what he wore. And so I didn't come in my torn, torn you know, apart Levi's or an old shirt, but... That would have been, you know, the kind of the picture of John the Baptist. He, he didn't look like someone from God. And yet when he spoke, it cut to the heart. And why was that? Because he had divine authority, and we're going to see that in the text in a few moments. It's also because he had unmistakable authenticity. He was genuine. He was living out what he was preaching. And he had unmistakable humility. You could tell he, he wasn't doing this for show. And sometimes people will go to both extremes. They'll, they'll wear the, the shabby clothes because they feel that's in. Or they'll wear the clothes that look so expensive it's undeniable. And it's both for show. But, but that wasn't John. And, and his location probably was a picture of of. Why this message was one, if, you, if you're going to respond to it, you, you need to show by, by your efforts to hear about it. I was reading this past week about the wilderness, which would have been probably on the, the shores of the Dead Sea. And they say, just imagine the Sahara Desert in the middle of it, not the, not the, the edges of it, the middle of it. Or, or if you've ever been to Death Valley, and Death Valley is a tourist spot now but if you take certain spots in death valley and nobody's around you're thinking would anybody ever pitch their tent there and the writer said well let's take the the shores surrounding the dead sea and magnify the sahara desert and death valley by four a factor of four and that's that's what you see it's sterile it's 
deadly. It's, it's a place you want to go through, not stay. And so in the midst of this, Luke begins his account after, after explaining the, the beginning of John and Jesus. And announces the one who has come to prepare people to get people ready for the truth. So let's look at it this morning in the time we have, and I need to pick up the pace a little bit. But let's, let's look at it this morning. And first of all, asking the question, because this is inherent throughout this account by Luke, he asks the question, is it true? And of course, I'm coming from the perspective, it is true. Well, why do I believe it is true? There's many reasons, but we'll see a couple here. Now, in the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Traconius, and Lysanias was tetrarch, or tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Sapphira, the word of God came to John. And this is one of those passages you're saying, well, this is why I would never want to join a small group because they might want me to read that verse, okay? You know, and let me just give you a clue. If you ever come across names or locations you have no idea how to pronounce, just say it with confidence and just say it however comes to your mind because no one knows how to pronounce those names, all right? No one knows, okay? So, so as we think about it, John begin, or Luke begins his account by giving all a lot of detail. You go, why in the world did you put this much detail in? Well, he, he wanted to date the account. And we sign our checks or a document with a date attached to it, and it's based on when Jesus was what? Was born. Well, that pattern had not developed right at the moment, so he didn't just put a date that way. And so he said, let me just tell you what was happening when all this transpired. And it's so fascinating if you're into details, is examining each one of these characters and say, why did, why did, why did John... Why did Luke, I keep saying John, why did Luke, as he writes about John, put this in here? And if you've ever talked to someone who wants to convince you that what they're saying is true, they'll do, they'll, they'll do one of two things. They'll, they'll either give you a lot of details, and when they give you a lot of details, it's for the purpose of saying, well, they can't be making this up. Look at all the details they're giving me. But if they think, and when they give you that, they're, they're convinced you're not going to check out the details. Now, on the other hand, if they think you're one of those people that when they give references, you're going to call every reference you know, is on the resume, then they'll make sure that the people they put on the resume are people that you can actually call. And so what Luke does here, he doesn't do this to kind of just get people to think, I know what I'm talking about because he gave you a lot of details. He gave these things so that we can know that what he was writing was true. And it's fascinating to see how even with... Tiberius, when he came to reign as a co-regent, and you figure out when Jesus was born and when he came to reign, and in this period of time, you can date that this happened when Jesus was 30, and John was about 30, and that fits with all the chronology of the New Testament. And, and when you look at Annas and, and, and Caiaphas, you think, well, you never had two high priests. Well, you begin to realize that Annas was the high priest who gave it over to his son-in-law Caiaphas, and he, but he was the power behind the throne of, of Caiaphas being the high priest, and it all fits. And even things that people for a while thought was, was not true, and they'd say, well, Luke, Luke can't be inspired by God because the history doesn't match up. Uh, the character uh, Lysanias, anybody know anything about Lysanias? I didn't. Uh, but it's interesting, archaeologically, they've discovered some inscriptions that, that point to someone who ruled during that period of time and the exact time in which this should have occurred. 
So, so as, as John gives the de- as Luke gives the details, he gives the details to date the event, but it's also a way to testify that he is an accurate historian. And it's true historically, and of course we believe now that it's, it's true spiritually because God superintended his will and hand that these things would be recorded not only accurately but truthfully. So, so it is true, but what is true? It is true what Luke throws in almost as a throwaway phrase, the word of God came to John. And so the reason these people went to a place where no one would, would take a vacation, you know, um, no one would pitch their tent there, is because the word of God came to John. There was divine authority in what he said. And even though he was saying things people didn't want to hear, have you ever had people say things that you didn't want to hear? Can anybody be honest? I mean, they, you know, I don't want to hear that. But they could not turn a deaf ear or run away from it because he was capturing the hearts and minds of everyone. And, and so you would stand out like a person who was, who was not willing to hear truth by not going to hear him. So everyone had to go hear him. But we all know that you, you can go to where truth is, is given or someone can come to you and you actually listen to the truth on a one-on-one relationship or in a group situation. But does, it does not mean that you're going to respond to the truth. And, and part of it, you could still intellectually go on, well, I know everybody else believes it's true, but I'm not going to take everything that person says as, as authoritative. I'll just take part of it. And so you kind of, you, you kind of have a facade, Right? And so that was happening as everyone came to hear John, and, and he begins to speak into life. But what, what, what I want to present as a proposition is, if it were true, what was he saying to them and what was he saying to us? Not only to us, but to anyone and to everyone. If what is here is true, and I think there's reasons why it's true, it's, it's accurate historically, which would have to be true if it's from God, right? Because God wouldn't communicate error. Well, if it is true and it's authoritatively from God, well, then what should our response be to it? Well, let's see it uh, this morning, beginning at verse 3 now. And he, John the baptizer, came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you've heard that was his message, but let's just break it down a little bit. What was he asking them to do? He was talking to people who were highly religious, People who went to the synagogue all the time. He went to the temple all the time. People who um, were fully aware that they were God's chosen people and that he had brought them into the, the covenant of, of relationship with God. And all of a sudden, he, he's telling them to do something they had never done before. In fact, that's really my first point. If this is true, what John said to them and to us, he was asking them and asking us, are you willing to do what you've never done before? You know, have you ever had someone dare you to do something you've never done before? I mean, anybody want to go bungee jumping tonight over this huge bridge? Anybody want to jump out of an airplane or whatever it might be? You know, if anybody's ever asked you to do something you've never done before, well, if it's just frivolous, you know, that's, are you a thrill seeker or does that sound fun to you, then go ahead and do it. But he was asking them to do something they'd never done before and something was at the root of who they were. Are, are you willing to see that you need to publicly Demonstrate on the outside what's true of you on the inside. 
that you are a sinner and need forgiveness. And, and so much so that you need to understand that you are a sinner and need a re- repentance, and you're, uh, you are willing to do that which repentance says you're supposed to do. Turn from how you're living to turn to someone who wants you to live his way. Because repentance has both directions. If I'm going to change my mind about something, then i got to say what I used to think was true is no longer true, but what is true is over here. How I thought it was all right to live over here, I'm now saying it's not right because I need to live this way. Who I used to believe in, which might be myself or my own religious disciplines or habits, that's not true. I need to go to the one who can change me on the inside. And this is particularly true to his audience there. You know, in the Jewish culture, Jewish people never got baptized. You know, you, you didn't take someone who, who wanted to follow the teachings of God's word as they understood it, say, for you to do that, to demonstrate on the outside what's true on the inside, I'm going to dunk you in water and bring you out. And I don't have time to share the differences. We'll look at that a little bit different, uh, maybe next week, the difference between the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of John. But this was a... This was a baptism of preparation, preparation for Jesus' coming. And if you're going to receive truth, you've got to be prepared for the truth. In other words, you need to have an open mind and open heart for what you're about to hear. If your mind is made up, there's no sense listening to anybody, right? I mean, because your mind's made up. But if if you're open to what someone is saying, you've got to be willing to change. And so as he speaks into their life, and he speaks truth in their life, and there's authority about what he says... Are you willing to be, in a public way, demonstrate that your sins need to be forgiven and you're not going down the right path? And so very simply, for them is, are you willing to get baptized? Because the only baptism in the Jewish culture was for Gentiles. If, If someone wanted to follow the God of Israel that was not a Jew... And a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. That's simply what Gentiles means. It's a non-Jew. You, you had to be washed from all that was your old to get into the new. And so only Gentiles were, were baptized so they could be a, con, a converted Jew or convert from Gentileness into Jewishness. And, and so this was even a harder message. You mean I got to look at myself like a Gentile? That I am so far from God, which is the Bible says our sin makes us so far from God. The Bible says if we regard iniquity in our heart, which means if we keep sin in our heart, and that's where sin resides, it will leak out in our actions. If, if, we, if we allow things in our heart still be sinful and, and it's not confessed to God, then God won't even hear us. You know, we, we can pray constant prayers, but unless we deal with the sin in our life by giving it to Him, He's not going to hear us. And so they were struck with that message. And he said, I I want you to demonstrate it, not verbally, but with actions. Get baptized. Now, the baptism of Jesus is different than the baptism of John. For for some of you here, maybe you know Jesus Christ and you have never got baptized. Well, God wants you to be baptized. But the baptism here was, is there anything in your life that you're not willing to turn from and turn to Jesus. Because that's what I, I, I'm, I have a message here to ask you to do what you've never done before. Admit what you're doing is sin and turn from it. Now there's good news here because the one you turn to will wash you from that sin who's coming, but you've got to turn from it. So as we think about how people come to faith in Christ, they've they got to do that which they've never done before. 
Isn't that true? Before I was a Christian, I wasn't a Christian. I'm really a deep preacher here. You know, okay? Before I was a, a Christian, I wasn't a Christian. But when I became a Christian, I did something I never did before, which said, God, I'm a sinner facing your judgment. I don't deserve for you to love me or know me or even forgive me, but I, I just offer my life and rest on what you did for me to forgive me of my sin. So if it's true, everyone has to do what they've never done before, which is turn from our own life to his life. But, but let's move on because we'll never get through this if we don't move on, all right? And then he goes on and says this in, in, in verse 4, and as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and I believe this is uh, in Isaiah 40, in case Allegra asked me what reference it is. Okay, the, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. And who is this one crying in the wilderness? This is not a trick question. This is, this is John, right? This is John. He said, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will be made, become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. It's, this message is not just for Jewish people, it's for everybody. But for that to happen, someone needs to prepare the way. And this is, again, one of the reasons why we believe what's in here is true is because, and particularly true about Jesus, because this happened, didn't it? You know, anyone who, who would claim to be a Messiah... If they didn't have someone preparing the way for him, this was written 700 years before John. And in Malachi, the last chapter in Malachi, it said that someone was going to come. And that was 400 years. And until someone would come like John, you could say, well, I know you're not the Messiah because that hasn't happened. But it happened. And what he was doing was, if it were true, he was using this again, the fulfillment of Scripture, which is one of the great reasons to believe this is, this is true, he was saying, are, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be prepared for who's coming? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you invite someone over for lunch today, uh, one of the things that you probably ought to prepare for is when they get there, there's what there? Food. Oh, you guys are so sharp, all right? You, you, if you're going to prepare for someone to come over for, for a meal, you better hope there's some kind of food to give them. And, and so he's saying, look, at, for this to happen, we've got we to prepare the way. Now, you're preparing the way, and John had two basic, you know, challenges. He was to prepare the people for the Messiah and the Messiah for the people. And preparing the Messiah for the people is, okay, I need to announce your coming. But preparing the people for the Messiah, so look, at your, your paths aren't particularly straight. And we do this in our own culture. You know, when a, a politician, particularly a president, visits a particular part of the country, the police force, the fire force, they go through great lengths to make sure the way is prepared for the one is to come. I was reading just, just recently about a president who went um, from Washington, D.C. to have a golf game in Florida. It was just a fly there, fly back. It cost $2.8 million for a golf game. Why? Because they had to prepare the way. And so what he was saying here, look, at, if you're going to be ready for the truth, and look, they were, they were out to hear the truth. So he was like, you know, if you got ears to hear, they had ears, physical ears to hear. But he said, if, if you're going to hear this truth, then all these valleys in your life, they need to be straightened out. All these crooked places need to be straightened out. And you've you got to be willing to recognize this is going to be a lifestyle change. There's a familiar verse in the Bible, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
and all your ways acknowledge him. And then it says this, and he will make your paths, what? Straight. Now, what does that imply? If, if God needs to make your paths straight, that means right now they're what? They're crooked. They're wandering. They're, they're all over the place. Um, and so he's saying, look it. Are, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be prepared for his coming? Are you willing for your paths to be made straight? Now, now that, this, some of the people are starting to take a step back and they say, well, I'm going to believe part of what he's saying, but I'm not going to believe all what he's saying because I'll, I'll do the superficial, but I'm not going to allow God to do that which is on the inside. But if we're going to come to God, we need to get our path straight. Now, he's the one who does it, but our part, are we willing for him to do his work in our life? But, but then he goes on in, in the account we have here and in verse 7 uh, John kind of turns the heat up a little bit. The other part is thinking, not only was I going to dress kind of in a shabby way this morning, kind of looking like uh, John the Baptist the best I could in a contemporary way, just with holes in my jeans or whatever it might be, but I thought maybe what I'll do is I'll turn the temperature up in, in this room to 100, and, I don't know how, how, how I can get this room, but make it as hot as I could, you know. You know, oh man, it is so hot in here, okay? Well, he, he begins to turn the temperature up. It was already a pretty high, probably in the wilderness place that he was preaching. But he turns the temperature up and what he says to him, look, look what he says. And the first one to me is the most, can you imagine an introduction like this in a church? So he began saying to the crowds who were going to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, he wasn't talking about some souped up car here that drives, you know, you can drive pretty fast on the highway. He said, you, you, you guys are a bunch of snakes. And he's saying, I, I can go to a lot of places. I don't have to come to church to be, to be, uh, to be you know, ridiculed or to have names called to me. So you're a bunch of snakes. And, and the only reason you're out here, he goes, look at the next statement, uh, who wanted to flee from the wrath to come. The only reason you came out of your rock that you hide yourself in is because the fires were coming and you, 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 you had to show yourself. You had to, you had to come out and be seen. So then verse 8 says, okay, now what I'm saying here is, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He said, look, you guys are snakes, and quite frankly, you're not any better than that rock that you just stepped over. Because you think you're so good because, you know, you do all your religious activity and and uh, you feel that because you're part of God's covenant people, which you are ethnically, that that makes you better than somebody else. And whenever we think we're better than somebody else, in fact, I didn't show this in the first service, but I, again, I was, just, I was struck by this thing I read. They were, uh, I think I shared this with you a while back, but they did a survey among 150,000 college students. And they said, uh, we just kind of want you to give yourself a rating, okay? Uh, among all the students here, and, and they told them, this is a survey among college students, how, how would you see yourself among other college students? Would you say that, you, that you, be, you have better relationship skills than other people do? Or how, where, would you say your, your relational skills are better than people or worse than people? How, how many of them do you think thought that, that uh, their, their relational skills were worse than some people? Zero. All 150,000 people that were interviewed on college campus, that their relational skills were better than, any, better than other college students. So I don't think our biggest problem in America is we have too low uh, of self-esteem. You know, I think uh, at least half of them should have felt that uh, some people were better than them. 
Well, so, so what, what he says to them here, he says, look at rocks are better than you are because God can raise up a life and uh, he could just tell a rock to become a human being. He could do that. And then he says, I want you to say, you're like a dead tree. Verse 9, indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree so that every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You, you have so little to offer that you're dead on the inside. And so really, we ought to make kindling wood out of you. We ought to just chop you down. Now, as we think about that, what he's saying there pretty, pretty powerfully is, if this is true, what his message is to the people that day and the message he's given us today out of his written word, if it is true, you better be willing to be humbled by what's really wrong. You know, what's really wrong in this world, what's really wrong in this world is what's wrong in us. It's our sin. And he said, look, don't, don't be looking at other people. This message is for you. And you think because what, for whatever of your experiences that you're, you're better than somebody else, the truth is not. You're not better than anybody else. And so we need to get real. We need to get real about our sin. It's easy to point fingers at other people. What about our own sin? Well, he gets, he gets the attention of some of the people there, so he, some of the people asked him some questions. So it was a two-way communication after he preached this strong message. In verse 10, we have this. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, well, then what should we do? If we're supposed to demonstrate our, that we really want God to change us on the inside because the one who is coming, well, what, what will that look like? And he, John, the baptizer, would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. What is he saying there? He's saying, look, you need to realize that the, 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 the label for a, a, a person who's falling after God is that they're generous. And, and he was, most of the people there didn't have a whole lot. But he said, look, at whatever you have, are, are you holding on so tightly that it's all about you? And, and really, shouldn't that be a, a description of God's people today, that we are a generous people. And, and that ought to be generous in how we consistently give unto him and through his church. That ought to be generous how we treat people around us and how we can help those, those in need. It, it, we ought to be a generous people. Then many of you are so generous and it just, it just amazes me. But it, it, do we really believe it is more blessed to give than to receive? So take what you have and are you, are you willing to give it up for the sake of others? And then he goes on, he says in verse 12, And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have ordered, been ordered to. Now, I'm, what I would think in this particular question from these who were hearing John preach, and say, Look, I'm afraid what he's going to say, but I'll ask the question anyway. Well, what should we as tax collectors do? Now, one of the responses he could have said, Well, quit collecting tax. Change jobs. Yeah, this, this is a horrific position. In fact, every, it seems like everyone who's a tax collector is, is skimming off the top and the bottom and the middle, and they're just making themselves rich. You've you got to get out from under that, but he doesn't say that. Yeah, there's a place for collecting tax, but you do it differently than anybody else. You just be honest about it. Don't collect more than Rome wants. Don't, don't line your pockets in, it, in an unethical way. Be honest. And then he takes, talks to another group of people. Uh, some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do, 
Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Now, again, we, we could spend a lot of time kind of describing the action items for each one of these people, but, but, but look at the soldier. The soldier in that day, they had power over, over the people that they were policing. And, and because they had power, they had the weaponry, they had those around them, they, they could push people around it at any moment. And he didn't tell them to quit being a soldier. He said, but be a soldier like no other soldier. Sometimes people, you know, do what they can do because they can do it. You know, why does a bully bully people? Because they feel they can what? Get away with it. They're stronger than the other person, uh, whatever it might be, that they, they, can, they can do it because they do it because they can do it. And he said, look, at, you are in a position of power, but don't use your power in an unrighteous way. Instead of being mean-spirited and oppressive, I put it this way in your note, just, just be kind, which would be so much different than how other soldiers were. I mean, soldiers weren't known to be kind people. It doesn't mean they didn't do their job, but whenever they could, they'd be kind. See, you know those commercials where you have policemen shooting baskets with people, you know, on the street and just doing community work by getting to know the, the people that they're on their sphere of... of um, bringing protection. They, they, they do kindness. And when they do kindness, then all of a sudden the community embraces those who are to protect them. But when you're fearful of those in charge, then how can you trust those? So what's the point here? Let me, we don't have a lot of time, but let me, let me put it this way. How, how do we demonstrate that we're really followers of Christ? Now, there's a lot of religious activity we can involve in, and those things build up our faith, and there's some things we can talk about which really bring people to faith. But, but you know, our faith ought to demonstrate itself seven days a week, right? And so what, do you, what John was telling them, he said, I don't, I'm not telling you to be a different person in terms of what you do, but what's important is how do you do what you do? If you're a police officer, if you're a soldier, then act like a Christian soldier or one that honors God. If, 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 you're, if you're a lawyer, you know, be an honest lawyer, you know. If, if you're a teacher, then don't berate your students. Help them learn. If, if you're a mother, then mother like, like that you're doing it in the way that Jesus would be honored by how you do that. If you're a neighbor, then be a neighbor that cares about the people around you. If, if someone wrongs you, then do you respond in anger and Talk that you wouldn't want people to talk to you that way. If you're a student, then you know don't look over someone else's page, paper, then page and their homework. That do your own stuff. And isn't that freeing? In in the sense of it's not easy, but but wherever you are, just be how God would want you to be in in that role. If you lead a business, then lead that business in a way that honors God. If if you're a, grandparent and grandparent your kids like that God would want you grandparent kids and if if you have people in your sphere of influence that need a touch from God recognize you're you're God's missionary to them and, and, and one way to look at it is just be generous with people be honest and be kind last thing real quickly is is found in verses 15 through 17 it's it's amazing as we think about, you know, John, who, who had crowds coming to him. I mean, he was the hottest thing in town. 
not only where he preached, but what he said. And, and people were coming to him. And so, verse 15, now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John, who is this guy? It says, as to whether some thought that he was the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the one we're looking for. And John responds and answers, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming who is mightier than I. And then these, this phrase, and I am not. Now, some people in position of prominence, they, they tell you who they are. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm that. You know, all kinds of things. He, said, he didn't talk about what he was. He talked about he was, what he wasn't. This is not what I, he didn't talk about what I am, but what I am not. And so, to put it this way, if it is true, are you willing to see how desperately you need to come to him? Because in and of yourself, you're nothing. John goes on, he says this, I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. Now, when I first heard this, I said, okay, I don't, you know, I'm not fit to stoop down and, you know, just take his shoes off. Well, I've helped people take their shoes off, and I thought, what's so big about deal about that? But you need to understand, usually when we help people with their shoes, their boots are on too tight or they can't quite get down there. and It's not that big a deal. But if you live in a place where, where people either went barefoot and then they put on shoes or if they wore shoes, by the end of the day, they were pretty thrashed and they were covered by all kinds of things. It became, interesting enough, uh, the, the reality that even a slave, the lowest of slaves, they didn't have to untie and take off people's sandals. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? The, the reason they struggled with not volunteering to do that because only a slave possibly would have that task. Because it was beneath even a slave to, to touch someone's feet and to, to work with their shoes. And, and John says, I'm not even worthy to do that which... Even a slave would not do. To touch the lowest part of who Jesus is and, and come into his presence. And, and you see, that, that really is the, the striking understanding of who God is and who we are. God is holy and righteous and so beyond who we are, but he stooped down to touch our lives. And because of our sin, we are unworthy even to, even to touch his, his feet. And that's the lowest of low in terms of what a servant or a slave might do for another. And John says this in the midst of the crowds coming to him. I am not the Messiah. I'm so far from him. All I am is his messenger. And because of his willingness to humble himself before God, to make that commitment to follow him, God brought him into his family. So what's the so what this morning? And God always speaks to the heart and the, to the head and the, and the hands. To, to the head is there is no more important truth than the truth of we need to see ourselves as who we are and who God is. And we need to humble ourselves before him if we're going to know him. How should that make us feel? There's so many things you could go through in terms of how you're feeling about that. What a privilege it is to understand that God loves us so much that he was willing 
to come for us. And what are we are to do? We're, if we embrace this by faith, we're saying, God, I want to live this. I not only want to believe it, but I want to live it because that shows I believe it. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are amazed about this one who for three decades said nothing. And then when you launched him on the scene, as brief as that life was, it changed all of history because he prepared the way for the one who came. And Father, we pray that we might be people that this week live out our faith. Help us to be the generous, honest, kind people that demonstrate who we are by how we live. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning.